You're listening to a Whales Are Whales production. You're also listening to Whales. Visit whalesorwhales.com for more projects and shows like this one. Welcome to episode 11 of Third Person, a storytelling podcast. Today's topic is going to be high fantasy, and joining me to discuss this are my good friends, pals, and cohorts, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Oh, hi, Brian. I'm I'm very glad that we're back to third person to, instead of second person, because that's a much easier viewpoint to keep track exactly. of. Exactly. No one actually knows what second person is, except Abigail, who is also joining me today. Hello, Abigail. Hello. I actually prefer second person. Stephen, leave. Okay. Oh. Gosh. What? You're, this I didn't is starting say that. brutal. Is All that right, coming so out again? I keep thinking these thoughts and usually they stay inside, but. <laughs> Pop quiz, Abigail. What is second person like you. in terms of storytelling? It's, it's you. No. Yes. What? Yes. <laughs> I love that. All right. And I am Brian, <laughs> uh, your host and benevolent dictator. What? <sighs> so, guys. Hi, Brian. What? Nothing. What? Said hi. Oh, hi. Benevolent dictator. It's the most yeah. interesting kind. Exactly. Exactly. Everyone likes a good benevolent dictator. I feel uh, before like I we discuss mind. our main topic here, I wanted to ask you guys a question. Shoot. What? What have you been narratively involved with? <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> I actually wasn't expecting that question. Have <laughs> <laughs> you? It is literally written on the show notes. <laughs> I scrolled down too far. I didn't see it. I have this big old main topic staring at me. <laughs> Pop quiz. What are you, Steven? Your section is blank, so we're going to start with you, because you're obviously the least well-prepared. Yes, I'm very ill-prepared. And today. I have obviously um, a good podcast host. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you 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 start with low expectations and work your way up. I, start I get with it. the tough questions. I'm going to grill Save you, Save the best for last, you know? Until you are a sobbing mess. So um, I may not be well-prepared, but I have been narratively involved with several things recently. All right. Um, one that I was doing just last night was playing the second chapter of um, Life is Strange. Steven? Yeah? What is Life was is or was? Is. It what, is currently strange. What is Life is Strange? Well, what Life is Strange is, Brian, <laughs> is... <laughs> <laughs> it's an episodic uh, video game series. Is it? Yes. <laughs> last, last I checked, it totally is. Cool. Um, and it's sort of like an adventure game if you played any of the Telltale adventure games like Walking Dead or uh, Game of Thrones or something. But this Wait, one Steven, is not. Those are all TV shows. Yeah, well, that's the big difference is Telltale is not here just, you know, making up some crazy television spinoff uh, uh, property. But it is the people who made a game called Remember Me, which is a kind of a strange action adventure beat em up uh, science fiction French thing, oh, <laughs> which I a common quite part. like, despite the gameplay not being so great. But the good thing about um, this game, um, Life is Strange, is that it doesn't really have gameplay. So they just stick Yay. right to the, they, they get right to the character development and weird time manipulation. All right. And um, one could almost argue that it's a bit of low fantasy or low sci-fi. Ooh. Because it takes place in a normal world, a high school, in fact. 
Um, so maybe it's in the high fantasy genre. <laughs> I don't know. That's a stretch. <laughs> Good but, Lord. um, but you, you find out pretty soon that you've got time powers and you can reverse time to, I don't know, maybe a minute or so in the past. Okay. Um, so you meet many characters along the way and it's all about the choices you get to make in high school. Um, and out of the high school too. It's actually more fun once you get to leave the high school. Well, no that one is has an fun accurate representation school. of life. Yes, that life is strange. <laughs> like it, it gets. So it's it's very cool. It's a little bit stilted, um, both animation wise and character wise. Um, but I am certainly enjoying it, um, especially when things start to get really heated and tense, and sometimes right. you you have to make choices quickly. And so, for for one example is. Um, I ended up uh, basically escaping this horrible dude at the school um, who was oh, out is he to the get guy me. with the gun? Uh, yeah, he might have had a gun at some point. Okay. Um, he's on my tail, and so yeah, my okay. old friend, uh, Chloe, swoops in and saves me. Um, this isn't really much of a, a spoiler. I'll keep it spoilerish freeish. Um, but we, we end up ditching the school and heading back to her house, um, and we just were hanging out in her room for, like, a long time, mm. and I was just pouring over all of the old things that were like stuck to her wall and the like CD collection home. she has. It is a lot like gone home, um, which was in one of my, another awesome sort of, uh, off the rails adventure game. Yes. Um, but it, needless to say, uh, I have, well, is it needless to say if I haven't said it yet? Nope. It is. Okay. Needle- it, it is, is def- needed def- to say needed. Needing to say it's a, it's a, it's very, it's a very detailed little world and, um, it's really fun to poke around in it. And, um, I like it a lot, and when you had to, when you had to make those choices, it's kind of tense and it's fun. Uh, so it's episodic. Mm-hmm. How often are they? Are they on a schedule for the episodes, or are they just uh, like, like a, a really loose schedule? Okay. Like maybe the next month or so. Okay. It's, you never. So really it's know. like our podcast. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> We're actually pretty good schedule wise. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but I'm on, I'm on episode two, which is pretty good so far. Crazy thing though, and I tweeted about this a while back. Yes. Uh, remember when I told you about the two whale diner ad that I found? Right, Abigail, I'll have to send you a picture of this, or you could just look up the whales or whales Twitter account, whatever you want to do. But there was a, an advertisement stuck to a refrigerator uh, for for um, a restaurant that has a logo that is strikingly similar to whales or whales. Oh, like we're talking two whales with the same bobble uh, Google Eye, bobble Eye, whatever you want to call it, right? And the same colors of the whales, Jeez. one big and one little, it's the same text color. Like, it's extremely, extremely So basically similar. what you're saying is we really want this game to be financially successful so that when we sue them, we have more money to <laughs> uh, to pull from. Either that or the developers have time manipulation powers themselves and went back in time and found out about our logo. The crazy thing is, though. You don't have to go though, back in time to find out about our logo. Really? Has it been around that long? No? A year. Who knows? But this game is in development for a while. They could have added that in later. I don't know, because in episode two, you get to go to the Two <gasps> Whales Diner. It's a big, major part of the game. Am I there? So that logo is everywhere. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. That's crazy. Anyway, life is strange. Yeah, friends. life is strange. Life is strange. Um, But other things I've been narratively involved in, I've, I just finished the third season of Gilmore Girls. Good for you. Whoa, yep. Nice. Yeah, it's to the part where um, Jess is away and Rory is going go to go away. That's specific. What? Yep. 
Are um, they eloping? <laughs> no, Jess just left town and oh. Rory's about to graduate uh, oh, high okay. school. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I still really like that show. Um, and But it just hit me that it's going to end eventually. Yeah. But it's going to be a while. Don't worry. You'll probably get tired of it by the time it ends. Probably so. That always <laughs> happened with Buffy. Yeah, almost. There were certainly parts where I was ready to put Buffy down. For sure. But, yeah. Um, and otherwise, oh, last thing I guess I'll mention. I, I've been uh, listening to a book about um, Grand Moff Tarkin. Okay, is this a nonfiction book? I really hope this is a nonfiction book. I desperately wish it was a nonfiction like, book. Like, not necessarily no, nonfiction. I should say, like, a... It, it's like a biography of a fictional character. That would be amazing. Man, I don't understand what that concept is. I wish we had done an episode about nonfiction and fiction and fiction and nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, too bad we're bad at things. So yep, really. <laughs> so bad at things. Um, so that's yeah, interesting. It's, it's like it's I a story about Grand Moff Tarkin, who is the the dude who is holding Vader's leash from Star Wars Episode Four. Right, he's the evil-looking, bony British dude in the first mm-hmm. uh, A New Hope. And you find out why he's bony and why he's British through his oh, backstory. Really? Well, sort of. Fast. Um, it's okay so far. I've got to say it's kind of jumping between slightly predictable flashbacks and um, kind of boring present uh, politics. Well, you're describing a lot of Star Wars books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, personally. Is there a scene where Luke is meditating for like seven hours? Um, well, Luke is currently not even in the womb yet, so... Okay, so probably mm, not. No, not Safe in that flashback. Say. Um, it's okay. I sort of feel like they should have taken a more tr- non-traditional approach, where it kind of feels like I didn't need to know such a by-the-numbers raising of Tarkin. Oh, yeah, um, did he have, know, like, bullies in the school he was going to? Well, no, not quite okay. like that. Just finding out about his parents and about this weird ritual they made him go to, and, oh. um, like, not the cult ritual, just, like, oh. go survive in the jungle. That's how he got so tough. It's like, mm. it almost feels like an excuse. Like, the reason Tarkin is so, you know, sharp and manipulative is because he had such a you know, rough, difficult time growing up. Mm. Um, and it was so harsh and harsh and harsh. Right. And I just kind of thought it would be cool or if he just, you know, figured stuff out. That's why I don't ever want to know the true history of Emperor Palpatine. You know a lot of it. Do you? Well, I guess it's not canon anymore, is it? You're yeah. right. None of this is canon like anymore. The Plagueis book told a lot about a Palpatine. Like, uh, most of it. I guess that's true. Like, all he was was a normal, like, adolescent... Uh, Senator Hopeful, who was into no, his you're right, you're right, and that was a much better story. It was a really I good story, a lot. I liked it yeah. a lot. It was so go read what the book about Darth Plagueis, not Tarkin. But granted, it's that is not true anymore. I mean, in terms of Star Wars canon, the, Disney has disavowed anything. Did you ever was. really believe that there was a rebel pilot with the head of a horse? Anyway, well, yeah, I, I yes, I did. My hopes were crushed, though. Uh, for okay. people who don't know, Disney has said everything that wasn't, I believe, the movies and the Clone Wars animated series is not canon, including, like, Nazi Old Republic and Ewoks. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> and everything else people have made. Oh, the Ewoks No, the Ewoks movie. TV series, not Ewoks and themselves. What about the movie? Wait, is that what, real? There was an animated cartoon about Ewoks. Is there the really an animated cartoon about Ewoks? Yeah, there was also one called Droids about C-3PO and R2-D2 and a guy with a mullet. I feel like I heard about that one. Yep. They were both pretty dumb. I well, think I watched them before I watched the It's an animated movies. series about Ewoks. And it was also like in the late 80s or early 90s. So, oh, you know, man, I got to look this up. Yeah, you should. 
I so got to listen. There's an episode where Wicket learns not to use magic because it ended up like he was trying to do it to save time and it ended up started starting to destroy everything. I think it was Wicked anyway. It's a, it's kind of a cross between Star Wars Episode 6 and the Smurfs. And this, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. All right. So that's what I've been narratively involved with. Uh, great. Abigail. Yes. What have you been narratively involved with? I've actually been narratively involved with something this time. Yay. Yay. It's not friends. That's, well, I have been narratively involved with friends, but considering I'm watching it through for the second time, I figure I probably shouldn't talk about it because I've already talked about it. And the episodes are really not that different from each other. Yep. They make (laughs) jokes. They make jokes. Potentially suggestive jokes. And then they laugh about them. And then they have relationship troubles. Oh, yes. uh, And then they sit around in their apartments and the show ends. It's pretty much like Gilmore Girls, only a little bit. Little bit less story per episode and a lot more scripted. Yeah. It's kind of. Uh, there's a laugh track, correct? That, no, it's live audience, actually. Okay, there's a live audience, correct? Yes. So I use it <laughs> interchangeably. I just mean there are people laughing over there the are, show. There are people laughing. It's really funny, actually, because I was, I was watching recently and I was, I was listening with like really good earbuds. Ear, earbuds? <laughs> 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 Oh, Lord. <laughs> Sounds incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> they, was, they kept squirming. They were and, uh, really good ones. <laughs> they're like trying to crawl in my ear. It was just yeah. really... Anyways. Exactly. <clears throat> but I was listening with some really good earbuds, <laughs> and somebody made a joke, and then yep. everybody laughed, and you could tell that it was like it was not a pre-recorded laugh track because you could hear somebody in the audience who happened to be really close to the microphone like repeat the joke. Oh, like really? you know how when you do that somebody will say something oh, funny yeah. and then you repeat the same thing. Um yep. they did that and I was listening I was like, "Oh my gosh, I just heard that like that was totally live." That's awesome. That's pretty funny. That it reminds me funny. of my my favorite recording of Oblivion music. Uh-huh. I, I it's like a suite of like most of the songs in one huge like orchestral oh, nice. feat and um <laughs> Just like I can count the beats or just like I can know the approach of every string, there's a certain time when in the background you hear, (coughs) (laughs) and that goes on in my head as I'm listening, just effortlessly like everything else. Is this the Oblivion song? It's the the play live video game. I know exactly what you're talking about, and I know the cough, too. (laughs) Man, I'm going to have to listen to this, too. I never caught that. That's awesome. It's amazing. It's also an amazing (laughs) song. Anyways... Um, so besides friends, what I've been narratively involved with, um, is Legion Skin Deep by Brandon Sanderson. Hey, oh. I love the Legion series. Yeah. Um, I actually have not read the first one. Um, oh, that's all I read. <laughs> the second one, though, came up on my Audible thing and it's like, hey, this is free. Or no, it wasn't free. It was like super cheap or something. It was like a dollar. Um, and so I was like, hey, Brandon Sanderson, hey, short book. I can do that. <laughs> and so I got it. And I listened to it, and it was probably three or four hours long. Um, it was over, you know, it's audible, audible. I listened to it in the car, and it was really, really good. <laughs> and what was great, actually, was I knew it was the second one in the series, and I knew that I wasn't gonna read the first before I went to this one because I already had this one. Um, but the way that they're written, you actually don't need to read the first one to understand everything that's going on in the second one. Um, yeah. Or like the characters or anything like that. Like I had a great experience with the book without ever reading the first one. 
Um, and it was really cool. It's basically about a guy. I mean, y'all know this, but our podcasters don't. It's about mm-hmm. a guy who uh, solves crimes. He's kind of he seems to be like a private detective person, um, and he he has a lot of knowledge in a lot of different areas. But the way he has to access that knowledge is by creating a secondary persona for that knowledge. So he's pretty much a walking schizophrenic, um, and has all these people he can talk to. And there's a lot of there's a lot of um, things that hold him back from using his knowledge the way that we would think he could. Like, he can't just pull anything out at one time. The people that store that knowledge for him have to be, like, with him at the time. And the thing that I found most interesting about that was he can't just make them appear. Like, he has to... He has to mold his not reality into reality, even though he knows Mm -hmm. that his not reality is not reality. Um, Like, my my favorite example mm -hmm. of that is when... Uh, stakes are getting high, and then someone drives off with them, leaving yes. all of his personas behind. That was and so, so he good. starts to invent, like, one of his really, you know, rough and tumble, always there with a pistol dudes who mm-hmm. should be following him around. Basically, a bodyguard is running after the car and leaping over obstacles, and eventually, uh, the protagonist slowly realizes there is no possible way he could be physically doing mm-hmm. this. And so the persona starts to slow down and slow down as reality creeps in. He's like, nope, can't, can't mm-hmm. pull that off. It was really um, good. It was really it well was done, awesome. too. Like, that was a really good way, honestly, for Brandon to raise the stakes um, for a guy who has everything and who can do everything. And it's like, oh, well, you're cut off from all your knowledge. You have one little persona with you who happened to stay in the car. Yeah. Um, and so you have one way to solve this. And so it was a really good way to make him defenseless. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's a good uh, pinch, too. <laughs> yep, <I laughs> Whenever we talk that. about the seven-point plot structure, that was a good pinch, too. <laughs> I, oh, yeah, we needed to do an episode on that. Interesting. We haven't yeah. yet. Um, but, yeah, I found that premise really fascinating as well. I only read the first book, but mm-hmm. it it really hooked me. I didn't like the ending. It was really abrupt. I don't, <gasps> don't know. Don't tell remember, me. Steven. I haven't read no, it. No, of the first book. Yeah, don't. I won't. I won't spoil it. It was just abrupt. It didn't really conclude very much. It wasn't mm-hmm. very interesting. Do you remember that, Steven? Yeah, and the second book didn't really do anything with it. Ah, so yeah, it, it felt I like have a he. Feeling I well, know the what funny the ending of the, the story. Is. The funny uh-huh. story about the first book is I believe he started and finished it on a plane trip. Yeah. Oh um, really? So I'm pretty sure he's just like we're landing. Okay, done. <laughs> so. And see, the, it's a very, it's an amazing concept, and it's a fun book with some cool characters. My only real problem with it is that uh, both books, for whatever reason, I can just see brandon sanderson sitting down and writing it like Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel very convincing to me it seems like he's using his limited research to talk about things like guns and computer systems Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel very real a little bit of it felt like it was pandering um Mm -hmm. like i mean there's a couple topics where somebody will go in and explain something way too simply maybe it's just because Mm -hmm. i happen to know about that topic but i'm like who wouldn't know that and why are you saying this so obviously um, but I think it, they were talking about computer coding or something and talking about like yep. how you can make notes in code or something like that. And I'm like, how right. does everyone not know this? But then again, I know how to code. So that could yeah. be it. Yeah. Um, I, it just, there was a couple of times when I found that it wasn't super, um, it could have been given a little more thought because might, some of it could have been a little uh, better. It's a little skin deep. 
<laughs> that was really bad. Har, har, har. I thought it was awesome. It was pretty but good. Thank you. As is the book. Sports? Thank you. Um, but yeah, show, to me, though? it very much, it sounds like a talented writer who's oh, like yeah. res- responding to a writing prompt. Like oh, he's absolutely. given a writing yeah. prompt and he works with it and it's a really good idea, but he doesn't necessarily flesh it right. out. Like he, 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 he had a, books. an awesome idea one day out of the blue. And instead of just burying it and saying mm-hmm. one day or dedicating a huge, well thought out, you know, heavily revised novel he just went out and wrote a cool thing and people yeah. get to see it and it's really fun it was great yes. honestly i want this to be turned into a tv show because it would be a great one yeah. um it, oh, it has the whole cop show format down and i yeah. could see that and i was actually okay with it <laughs> because the story mm-hmm. was interesting enough and the characters were interesting enough and i was just imagining how this would be done cinematically um, when you get to see things from his perspective and you see him and like all his oh, friends man. sitting at a table eating food and then you see it from someone else's perspective and there's just a big table with a bunch of food on it. Um, and like no one's actually there and just like seeing the different cut shots and everything. That'd be just, right. be really great to see. Yeah. Like, and it's always really interesting when the book starts describing what his allies are doing while people mm-hmm. are like talking to him and so on, like what they're doing with their idle time. And like mm-hmm. that could be done really shot really well. Yeah. In the TV show. It's really well done. And like whenever he talks to them, he, he can't just talk in his mind. He has to actually talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so you get to see, the, see him holding a conversation with his, you know, his, um, I forget what he calls him. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to see him holding his conversation with his friends, and then someone else is like, what are you saying? <laughs> so, Abigail, if you were to choose an actor to play that protagonist, oh, who would you choose? I don't know. Somebody with dark hair. That is so specific. <laughs> okay. We'll go with that. Somebody, well, it, you know, mid-30s dark hair. All okay, right. yeah. Just pull someone off the street. It's good. Like, um, he would have to be a little bit older. Like, you uh, know, I don't know. He's. I think he, they just did describe him as his like, late 30s or something. Gotcha. Brad what Pitt. about Robert Brad De Niro? Pitt? Brad Pitt, yeah. <laughs> no, okay, that would be terrible. Both great options. Um, I don't well, know this who is Robert a... De Niro is. Okay, that's Sorry. okay. No, ne- <laughs> no one needs to know. Okay. Uh, I forget who Robert De Niro is, but I'll, I'll send somebody, you a Google image in a second. It would have to second. be like a more somebody who has like this kind of submissive personality. I don't see this character as a very um, tough. Yeah. I own everything because yeah. he's a little self-conscious right. because of his, um, you know, his allies. Yeah, that's why he needs all of these people surrounding exactly. him to support him. He, he's a pretty He doesn't really dude. believe in himself. Um, right. And from what I can tell, like, I was really searching this book to see what his personality was between all of the people because I knew, I mean, I know the way that Brandon writes because I have heard him talk about it for four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I wanted to see his personality in between all the different people and it was interesting because he doesn't have much of one like he does have one and he's funny and he makes his own jokes and he makes his own thoughts and comments but you really don't learn a whole lot about him besides these other people which kind of makes sense because they are him yeah Yeah. um so it was was kind of interesting yeah that is interesting and this isn't quite as good or interesting but if you're interested in a in kind of a cop procedural show with um a protagonist who whose mind is split in various ways and sees different people than other people see. Uh, check out Awake, which is ah, about I you were gonna that. about this guy who one day woke up uh, after a horrible car crash and uh, th- his wife was dead and his son was alive. Mm-hmm. Woke up the next morning and his son was dead and his wife was alive. Oh, and every day he switches between two realities. 
Um, one being, you know, his wife being alive, one being his son being alive. And he's trying to, like, connect them and solve mysteries between them. Um, and it was very That's cool for a season. I don't know if they ever made a second one, but I like the first one. Yeah. Neat. Well, speaking of uh, procedural crime shows that are potentially interesting, uh, Stephen, you and I watched another episode of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. Well, it was weird. It was weird. Yeah. But As always. It was weird but good, and we're hoping it gets gooder and weirder as time goes on. Yeah, definitely. Um, both of those things. Yeah, we're starting to watch it together now since we caught up to, Stephen caught up to where I am. So that's been enjoyable. You have also pretty much, you are in agreement pretty much with me on how good the show is. So we're on the same page. Yeah, we're, we haven't, like, we've seen one episode since we last talked about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a slow going to But you've both. seen quite a few since you were last on the show. Uh, oh yeah, I just meant since you last talked about it, which is, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago. Right. So you, you've caught up with me and you're enjoying it. You like Dean. Yes, I do. Sam I don't think he's continue to be interesting. But we're not Sam sure. continues to confuse me. Yeah. Like, because he's like Dean from Gilmore Girls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That that is pretty confusing. Uh the other thing I've been involved with isn't much as is I've just been reading a lot of nonfiction recently. Um but it's nonfiction that has been using storytelling very effectively. Um, oh good. That's what we talked about last week. That Stephen, I'm sure you've been reading it as well, that book about dog training we've been reading. Mm-hmm. Uh begins and ends every chapter with like an anecdote from actual training she's done to dogs and i think it's very effective at illustrating her point she's very good at telling those stories yeah it gets you pulled right in and you start to think i need to use these techniques too yep it's just another example of that technique being done very well um but yeah for me it's it's mostly been i mean the games i've been playing have been pretty not uh non-narrative ones and the time i've had for reading and podcasting and stuff has pretty much all been non-fiction so mm-hmm. I've had a lot of storytelling going on recently, but we can go ahead and jump into our main topic now. Woohoo! All right. Don't you so our mean main our topic today. Main topic. Our, as it says on the page. That that's a good idea. Main topic. I believe that's impact font. I'm yeah, that is impact font. That is impact voice as well. It totally spiked my levels. There you go. Uh, all right. I just thought I would do that nice transition for you. Thank you. I appreciate it, Abigail. So our main topic today is high fantasy. Um, man, I was about to do a really dumb joke, which I'm not actually going to do. I'm going to, uh, I am going to squelch that joke and actually move on. Uh, the first important question about this is what is high fantasy? Well, you're going to get a different answer depending on who you ask. Right. But I'm asking you. And Abigail, what is high fantasy? Me? Yes. High fantasy. I actually learned this today. I went on Wikipedia and I looked it up because I wasn't totally sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, when I think high fantasy, I think of Lord of the Rings, and when yes. I think of Lord of the Rings, I think of elves, mm-hmm. and usually. So you thought high was referring to ear height? <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Okay, but I you usually, didn't squelch that joke. No, when that I joke think is of awesome. High fantasy. I tend to think of like lofty uh, is the word that I put mm-hmm. to it. Um, however, I found out that's not exactly the definition of nope. high fantasy. Um, high fantasy is fantasy that is set in an alternate world that is not this real world, whether it is characters leaving this world to go to that world, um, or it is that world in this world does not exist, as compared to low fantasy, which is set in this world with magic in it. It was I always just assumed that was urban fantasy, which is also another thing, um, which is basically like centered around a city. Um, 
but yeah, I just learned that and uh, it really helps me set my definitions now for what kind of fantasy I prefer and what I don't. Yeah, I was learning a lot as well because like you, I was confused on it. Another confusing element is gaming has given high fantasy a slightly different oh. meaning as well, especially like Dungeons and Dragons and that sort of thing. Because what high fantasy kind of began compared to low fantasy, it was more like, okay, this campaign we're doing is a low fantasy adventure. That means it's going to be about everyday life. It could still be in a mm-hmm. world of dragons and fantasy, but it's just this idea of you're doing everyday things in that world while high fantasy is like you're going on a crazy journey and fighting mm-hmm. necromancers and saving the world. So high also- fantasy to low fantasy became like a differentiation between how epic of scope the mm-hmm. campaign was. Uh, That's so another thing that something? tends to come to mind when I think of high fantasy as a big scope. Exactly. So it really has mixed meanings, yeah. um, which is interesting. Um, so what's interesting about fantasy in general and high fantasy is just how it's developed. Like fantasy pretty much began with people, I would say mostly with like myths. Really where it came from was people just yeah. like making making things up about the world or telling storytelling through myths and fables and that sort of thing. It's hard to tell how much of uh, how much of those old stories passed down through generations orally were thought of as fantasy. Right. You know, you don't know, did they truly believe that the ogres of the sky would come down and sit on you if you didn't go to bed before 9 well, p.m.? I, I, I don't I, know. I, I still believe that. That's what I'm going to tell my children. That's why I, we need to finish this podcast. You need to go to bed. <laughs> um, <laughs> how much of it was was myth that they kind of ended up believing. Nowadays, we make up stories and it's, that's it. We make them up and we know they're made up. Right. Um, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Unless you're getting in, getting into allegory, then it's a bit of a different situation. Yeah. And then as time, you know, passed, then they'd start writing them down and then you get into your, your epics, you know, your epics like the Iliad or Beowulf mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And I guess that's kind of the roots of where J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, you know, he was kind of stretching back and looking at that sort of thing. But it, it, the buck kind of stopped with Tolkien himself. He certainly wasn't the first man, I'm sure, to write a high fantasy story. No, but he was he was the one who pop culturized it, essentially. Yeah, Tolkien is a good place to start because, like, the roots of fantasy in general is just so deep and so varied from culture to culture that it would take us a very long time to yeah. be able to research and speak intelligently about that. But Tolkien is what really brought high fantasy, in quotes, mm-hmm. to the public consciousness. Um, and something that's specific about his and that uh, has I, not exactly tainted, I would say, the rest of fantasy, but his mm-hmm. was specifically modeled after old, um, a lot of old English stories mm-hmm. as opposed to other stories. So, like, his was on the concept of, like, fairy, which uh, was a completely different term back then, Um but his his was based on like the old English poems, things like Beowulf, things that came from the the English Germanic line, as opposed mm-hmm. to anything that was like Eastern or whatever. And so it has a very interesting uh, flavor to it. That since most of our modern fantasy is based off of Tolkien, it also has that same flavor. That's a really good point, and that's why so much fantasy is like, you know, medieval, swords Mm -hmm. and castles, instead of, you know, like, there's a lot of, for example, Arabian fantasy with Arabian knights and Mm -hmm. genies and that sort of thing, but if those come into modern fantasy, they're typically the exotic locales. Exactly. But, you know, the center of it is the human settlements and the castles and the dragons and that sort of thing. It's very, very westernized. Exactly, because Tolkien was a man who very much admired his own people and his own culture and wanted to center things there. Mm -hmm. And Um, see... There's people will knock that kind of Eurocentric mentality. Yep. Um, but 
I think the only problem with it, well, maybe not the only problem, but the biggest problem was how homogenized it became. Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, 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 Tolkien made such a popular, um, such a popular, well-loved tale that inspired so many people uh, that it kind of turned into a big, great burning trail of copycats in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the way they copied uh, and not everything like Tolkien's writing style hasn't stuck around. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the themes have disappeared too, but the things that stay are the swords and castles and elves because it's just, mm-hmm. I think that's what, why we say he's the creator of high fantasy because no, he's not the creator of fantasy. And in the strictest sense, maybe not even high fantasy, but everyone kind of agreed, uh, automatically and accidentally that the Lord of the Rings is your your uh, textbook on what high yep. fantasy is. Here's where the waters get very muddied, though. We've defined high fantasy as something existing in another world. We've defined Lord of the Rings as the creator of high fantasy. What actually surprised me, and something I'm surprised I didn't know before, is Tolkien made it very clear that Lord of the Rings takes place in the real world. It's just in the past. Um, right, and I think that mm-hmm. the way you, you get around that is to say it's far removed. Just like right. Star Wars technically takes place galaxies away and a long right. time ago it's still in our world but it's so far removed it's fantasy. yeah but there was it, it was very interesting to me there are a bunch of letters from tolkien that expounded upon this and one, one quote from them that i found interesting that i hadn't heard before was um quote it meant the habitable lands of our world he's talking about the um the word middle earth here uh so back to the quote set amid the surrounding ocean the action of the story takes place in the northwest of Middle-earth, equivalent in latitude to the coastlands of Europe and the north shores of the Mediterranean. If Hobbiton and Rivendell are taken, as intended, to be at about the latitude of Oxford, then Minas Tirith, 600 miles south, is at about the latitude of Florence. The mouths of Anduin in the ancient city of Pelagir, or Pelagalir, I don't even know how to pronounce that, are at about the latitude of ancient Troy, end quote. I did not realize he was making it that explicitly mm-hmm. analogous to the real world. Oh, yeah. He was big on fantasy and really big on um, basically, I'm sorry, not fantasy, history. He was very big on history yes. and geography and etymology and everything that he did had a root in something else. Um, right. The languages he created had roots in other languages. And he actually, um, the the maps that he made, I remember uh, was reading the, what was it, Cimmerillion. Uh, Yep. And he goes into a lot of detail about the land and the maps and how everything is shaped and how this event happened and that's why this isn't on the map anymore and why this happened right. and this isn't on there. And he talks about the different ages and how things progress. Um, and it is very, very specific that he is writing about his own people, but like mm-hmm. before the times that he even enjoyed reading about. Because he enjoyed reading about, you know, like King Arthur and you know yes. times before and so he's like well what about the time before the time before and where did all of this come from and so he was basically instead of writing the origin of our world he was writing the origin of that world yeah that's really interesting he was i mean he was trying to make it also sufficiently vague enough that you know it wasn't completely yeah. unbelievable um that it could be the history of our world mm-hmm. uh which i did not at all realize was his goal before i started reading up on this um but you're right he was a very historically minded and I just never realized it affected this world that specifically. I, yeah, to to me, I always knew that um, he kind of intended it, at the very least, in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, to take place on right. our Earth, our world, just because he addresses the reader and says, you don't see hobbits around anymore since mm-hmm. the big people took over. Um, 
But yeah, I had no idea he had kind of mapped it out before. That's kind of crazy. Right. Cool. It also makes me understand a little more the critics of Tolkien that have since said, I criticized him for potentially being a little racist, a little culturally <laughs> insensitive. And I see a lot more merit to that, especially now that I see how uh, explicitly analogous he is being to the real world. Oh, yes. He was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Also, he, he was an yeah, old English gent, and he yep. <laughs> he portrayed that <laughs> exactly. And it, it's kind of a bummer. I, <laughs> I wish he'd been a little bit more forward thinking. Something tells me that uh, C.S. Lewis would have been, if he'd written an equivalent series, would have been a little bit more. Well, I don't know. C.S. Lewis is kind of weird too. <laughs> is he? Is he bad? Too? The, That's a good point. The thing is, I don't. Okay, I, there's a difference between C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. From what I know of their worlds is that C.S. Lewis also wrote about other cultures, but he wrote about how they could be redeemed and at least a part of our culture. Tolkien kind of just wrote them as villains. The thing is, I will, I will admit that Tolkien was fairly closed minded. He didn't have any characters pretty much outside of where he lived. Yes. And mostly there were just wars in the East and shadows in the East and other weird things in the right. East. And, but I don't think it was done with any kind of malevolence or anger at least i never sensed that especially since there are moments where you know samwise watches the warriors from the uh Mumakil fall to the ground and he wonders you know this guy didn't want this he just wants to go back to his family you know like he understands that people are people no matter where they are it just doesn't come into the writing very much i almost no. think it's more ignored rather than abused yeah i don't know people have gone pretty in depth in that and i i haven't read a lot of the surrounding materials about lord of the rings that's a really big topic on its own i just think like i did not realize how explicitly analogous it was to the real world so i think it leads a lot more weight to those criticisms mm -hmm. of tolkien mm -hmm. um also interesting is i think that's one reason we get such a disconnect from modern fantasy which has modeled itself after tolkien it feels so weird how their worlds are completely apart from ours with completely different geography and completely different rules and magic and all that stuff, but still our cultures are there. Mm -hmm. And that feels really off. Like, wow, that that's just Arabia, but in something else. Or, oh, that's just Europe, or that's just France, but in a fantasy world. And they're just like, well, we're being like Tolkien. And they are, but Tolkien, there was a reason Tolkien's cultures were so explicitly well, like other cultures one of the things that made his his cultures better than a lot of the fantasy cultures that i've come across since then were right. his were a lot more well thought out um they yeah. were based on so in, instead of being based on a thing that was based on the culture it was actually based on the culture and he weaved a lot of background stuff into that and he did a lot of research and he um made them fit together really well not just like surface things so you think of arabia and there are things that you can throw in there that say oh yeah this is you know an arabic culture but rather than just throwing in some of that every single thing that he did from that person's point of view every action that they took had to do with that culture um mm -hmm. and it was it was actually a culture instead of just like a make-believe and that's one of the problems yeah. that i see in a lot of modern um high fantasy is that those cultures are not really as developed as his are, um, mm -hmm. and they're not as subtly uh, explicit, I suppose, in the way that they act. Sometimes it can be like, oh, yeah, this is this culture, but these people are acting apart from that. But yeah. the, the writer just doesn't realize that. 
I think that's a really good point. It's more just like, oh, this is a cool aesthetic or this is a cool idea. Now exactly. we'll just turn it into a culture. Yeah, I mean. you just kind of like drop it on top instead of like reforming your people and saying, okay, no, no, no. If they were raised this way, what would they be doing now? How would they be thinking? Right. How would they be talking? How would they be whatever? Yep, exactly. Um, so that's a that's a really good point. That kind of moves on to, I think, our, our next question here pretty well. What do y'all think of high fantasy? Like, do you like it? Do you no. not like it? Not particularly. I uh, think it depends. Yeah, Abigail, you go ahead and start. Like, well, what are your what is your opinion on high fantasy? I'm trying to think of a high fantasy that I really, really like besides Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right. Um, and it's really hard for me, but maybe it's because I've stayed away from a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. I actually didn't even like Lord of the Rings when I first encountered it. It took me so I was like seven when the first movie came out. Um, and so I hadn't read the books. <laughs> I had not read the books beforehand. <laughs> so I saw all three of the movies because my dad was a big fan. And I was like, eh, yeah, whatever. It's scary. I don't like it. Um, then later, I think I was like in a class or something. We had to read The Hobbit for the class. And I went, I don't like this. I want my friends from the other one back. And like at that moment, I decided that I liked Lord of the Rings. Oh, um, <laughs> so only your hatred of other fantasy <laughs> could make you into a fantasy. Pretty much. Um, but once I got into it, I really got into it. And I like the historical aspect of it. I like how well everything's fit together, the motivations, the depth of plot. And because of that, I feel like I've been ruined for a lot of other similar mm-hmm. things. It's because they yeah. just don't measure up. And right. it makes me really sad. And I've actually found myself to be a much, much bigger fan of low fantasy because I love things like chick flicks and friends and things that happen in the real world and small problems like relationship problems or like thrillers or things like that. And so if you add a magical element on top of that, I'm sold and it's awesome. Um, but it's really hard for me to completely pick myself yep. out of my world and put myself in a completely different world. It's just yeah. really hard. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's partially hard because it's so easy to poke holes in them. It's oh, like yeah. you're wondering why is this so different, yet why is this also so yeah. similar? And that and could Tolkien, be one reason I liked Lord of the Rings better is because it's more like our world. It's right, just an older it. version of it. It makes sense. It, I mean, what Lord of the Rings really is is a historical low fantasy. Yeah. Um, it's not really high fantasy at all. High fantasy, I, I don't know enough about it, but a lot of modern high fantasy to me really seems like it almost misinterpreted Tolkien like I used mm-hmm. to. And then created these worlds, assuming, well, he just make it up and make it elves and stuff, and then didn't create the same backing that he did. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now they're kind of stuck. In a way, the Lord of the Rings is almost simply biblical, Hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's a world in which it's the world is our own, but you can see the miracles sometimes. You know, like Uh, if you were to read through the Bible and the Red Sea parts or something like that, that's something that could happen in the Lord of the Rings. Not often, not in a flashy manner most of the time. But it does happen. These characters can see it and can follow along that adventure. Of course, there right. are also orcs and crazy, you know, creatures such as that. But oftentimes, you're, you just have hobbits in the Shire, which is pretty much just people living in England. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, orcs and trolls aren't any more fantastical than dinosaurs. So again, it's <laughs> it's not like yeah, it's not like it's a world that far removed from our own. It's really not that like, different. And everything that you like, whenever I read through it. It it does feel very historic, very much like, oh, I mean, well, it said that it happened, so obviously it did. Mm-hmm. And I'm not questioning, oh, well, why did that happen? And why right. did this person do that? Everything has its its motivations right there. It's like I'm reading a history text and saying, oh, well, yeah. of course, World War One led to World War Two. Like, I mean, it was bound yeah. to happen. 
Exactly. A lot of other fantasy seems kind of like it's being made up by the seat of its pants mm-hmm. as someone who's kind of created fantasy before I, I see how easy it is to fall into those same same tropes and problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven? Um, I have, I mean, high fantasy is pretty important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord of the Rings is probably my favorite story. It probably means the most out of all stories to me. Um, over time, I believe my attachment to high fantasy as a concept has lessened. Yeah, same here. Um, perhaps it's just broadening perspective, reading different genres, and just experiencing more of life, and realizing that oftentimes life and the people in it are more interesting than other worlds. Yep. That said, I still just can't get enough of that experience of stepping into a different land. And I think I oftentimes get that from video games more than books. I agree, because in video games, you get to also explore these different lands. So right. mm-hmm. it paints a broader and fuller and more engaging picture than just reading. A book is so much about the characters that you kind of just want them to be more relatable and more realistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that fascinating in books to you know read about a different environment once you've been able to explore that environment in real time. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, don't get me wrong, like you take, say, um, the Stormlight Archives, and boy do I love that world, and it's fun right. to learn about. But, ex- like, exploring World of Warcraft, or um, the Elder Scrolls, and mm-hmm. wondering what's going to be above this waterfall, and what does this town mean, and who lives here, and it's a lot more fun when you get to explore it yourself. Um, right. But, yeah, I, I certainly like high fantasy, but it oftentimes disappoints me, and it has so many problems and tropes that it's hard to uh, throw your lot in with it wholesale. Exactly. I, I agree with that a lot. I think what I really enjoy about it is very different from what Lord of the Rings is trying to do. I think it's become a different animal. If you take the Stormlight Archives, for example, if you were to do a, um, for example, a take that same plot and try to put it in the real world, you couldn't get that same sense of exploration. The mysteries they're solving about the very fundamentals of the world would start to feel like a goofy, serialized, like, parrot paranoid all the conspiracy theories are true kind of thing you can't make up that much about the world you can't change the fundamentals and realize that's why the shattered planes are here like be trying to be a book explaining why stonehenge exists and it would start to feel Mm -hmm. pretty stupid Mm -hmm. um because it's trying to because it's creating a new canvas in which you can learn about broader things than just the relationships of characters or all war or something like that um but if you create enough distance and i don't mean to interrupt you you mm -hmm. can continue on with your point but if you create enough distance like in the lord of the rings um, you sort of start to believe maybe all of this is vaguely what formed our lives right now. And you can make up your own connections, but it's not explaining to you why the Grand Canyon is so big. Right, but I even like the idea of something not existing in our world, just existing in an alternate world that's based on ours. It doesn't have to be literally our world. I mean, I love that concept. Lord of the Rings is its own thing, but I think it's cool that Something that was apart from our world, because if you look at sci-fi as well, mm-hmm. most of that also just takes place in our world. Um, oh, I, I, I agree. Superheroes I was... also take place in our world. So high yeah. fantasy is kind of the last refuge of literally just creating another world. It doesn't all have to make sense, but it gives you like this creative uh, canvas that most other fiction doesn't give you. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's super true. But I, I don't think that's the weird thing is I don't think the roots are really in there. If you look at myth and you look at Tolkien, almost all of that is in our world. Mm-hmm. So how, how did that? When did it depart? When did it change? How did it change? I don't know. Um, an interesting form of this is seen. Someone categorized low fantasy into several different categorizations. I think it was, um, I'm trying to find the name of the person. Oh, uh, Nikki Gamble apparently described it as this. Uh, 
And the three ways are primary and does not exist. That would be something like the Wheel of Time or Discworld. Um, the second is entered through a portal from the primary world, which is something like Alice in Wonderland, and then world within a world, which is something like Harry Potter. Um, maybe the entering through a portal from our world is one way this is really able to develop, because that makes yeah. it very explicit that this world is just different. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something like Narnia. In a way, it's almost uh, daring the reader to suspend their disbelief. Like, like right. look back at Alice in Wonderland, and it's like, yeah, here's a normal little girl, and she walks through a looking glass, a.k.a. mirror, you old people, <laughs> and goes to the strange drug-infused yeah, world. Yeah, we don't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, okay, I get where it diverged. I understand that I'm not supposed to believe this because it's so unbelievable. Right. And it, sometimes it's a little bit easier to digest those, in my opinion, mm-hmm. than starting. It's different. Okay. It's, it's, I'm not going to say one's better than the other because one is definitely not better than the other. But, um, sometimes it can be easier for a reader to digest the portal into another world because usually when that happens, the person who is venturing into that world, there is at least one character in the party who does not know anything about the world. Um, and or so, is skeptical about or it as well. Yeah, and so yep. you get to see things through their eyes and you have someone that you can kind of relate to yep. and say, oh, I don't know what's happening. This person's going to tell me. Um, and if you, kind of a, if you notice oh, sorry, that, continue. even actually in the Narnia books, that pretty much happens every time. There's at least one yeah. person in the party who doesn't know and who's never been there. Um, and so I've personally found that a little bit easier to get through just because of the mm-hmm. way that it's set up than something that just drops me into this big fantasy world with lots of strange names and strange places and strange things. And it's definitely a different experience. I have to work a lot harder right. to understand the first one, which is totally going to appeal to a certain type of person because there are people who are saying, I don't want to just read something about what I'm doing now. I want to read something big (laughs) and it's different. The strange names are definitely a big hang up for a lot of people because often they're also really bad, uh, (laughs) a lot of fantasy uh, and they feel unnecessary. I I even had trouble with names in Lord of the Rings, honestly. (laughs) But at least they were well conceived for the most part. Brian and I always joke about playing World of Warcraft and seeing role players and how the elves have names entirely built up of E's and L's. And so Pretty many much. of them. They're like impossible. Vowels. Vowels. It's just a mouthful of vowels. But as to your uh, main point there, yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, other people prefer just going into a completely other world. I'm one of those people. Like, I don't much care for having the everyman from our world. Like, mm-hmm. I don't find that concept very engaging. I don't typically find it super interesting compared to just having to learn how these people interact with each other. Because I think the reason I prefer... People existing is if it's written well, you're learning about the world implicitly from what's mm-hmm. going on in it. Well, when there's someone there, there's so much explicit narration going exactly. on about what's going on. They have to over explain it to you. One it's, game that's, uh, go uh, ahead. one example of this that's really amazing for me, the, uh, portal into another world is the mist series. And I think <gasps> it's my favorite example of that. That's such a good series. And it even keeps it secret that it's the real world. Like it does not make it explicit at all that it is mm-hmm. a real world, but it is. Um, and it's about these people literally writing other worlds and then going to them. And you're this faceless and nameless protagonist in first person just exploring them and finding books there. And it does such an incredible job of creating other worlds you're exploring, but anchoring them to our world through its own rules. Mm-hmm. So I think that's like my favorite example of that, yeah. that type of portal into another world type of fantasy. Something that's kind of interesting um, about 
stuff like that. And this kind of has to do with high fantasy that I've just, I just thought of this. It's kind of off topic, but, mm-hmm. um, high fantasy, I can see how that would have a higher payoff than some other kind of fantasy necessarily, especially when you get into something like a video game like that, like Mist, where it's very open yeah. and you have to figure out what to do. I can see how that would actually give the player or the experiencer or the reader or whatever you're doing a much more satisfied experience once you come out because you actually had to work for what you got and you had to figure it out and you feel really smart. <laughs> right. As opposed to being led by the hand through something like... um you know, reading the Narnia books and whatnot, it is a very, very different experience. And you're kind of like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, that was a great story. I can see how all that all that lined up instead of like, oh, wow, I discovered this and figured out that and then that happened and it's it's just a bigger payoff. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, Steven. Hello. What are some of your favorite examples of high fantasy? Because you definitely talked a lot about, you know, the drawbacks and where Lord of the Rings comes from. But apart from Lord of the Rings, like, what are some high fantasies you've enjoyed and why do you think you did? Morrowind. Uh, so Elder Scrolls. Yeah, let me talk about Morrowind specifically. Sure. And um, Abigail, you were saying how you kind of had to work for mm-hmm. uh, the payoff in high fantasy. Mm-hmm. I think this is a great example of it. And I'd also elaborate by saying you step into the world of Morrowind and other Elder Scrolls games. This is a video game series in case you listeners weren't aware. Uh, yes. An RPG series, in fact. All about exploring a great, grand, epic fantasy world and you get to do yeah. whatever you want. Yeah, that's much. what really makes it stand apart from mm-hmm. other games is just the complete freedom. It gives pretty much more freedom than almost any other video game and out there. And utter detail. You can yes. pick up oh, essentially every object in the whole world mm-hmm. and hoard it in your house. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but if you put too many things in your house, then yeah. they start disappearing and they go into the glitchy realm. So it anyway. creates really a sandbox world for you to explore. What made Morrowind really stand out is it was the first game that was entirely handcrafted instead of like procedurally generated. So mm-hmm. they just took like one small section of the geography of the large world and just made that as detailed as they could. So anyway, mm-hmm. go on to your point, Stephen. Well, the reason I enjoy it so much is because one of my favorite words is explore and ex- exploration as mm-hmm. well, uh, because there's nothing more satisfying to me than not knowing what's around the corner and having the complete freedom to go see what it is and to learn something along the way. And in Morrowind, because it is totally separated from our world, sure, there are there's armor you'll run into you know, human-like people, cultures you may kind of uh, relate with. But essentially, it's a brand new landscape that you've never seen before. So when you see this great gelatinous, strange, um, faintly glowing jellyfish creature floating through the air, you wonder, what is that? And you start to freak out. Is it going to hurt me? Am I going to die? I don't want to to lose, you know, any progress. Where am I? What is it? And once you work up the courage to go near it, you find that it doesn't hurt you. In fact, none of them hurt you. And you see a small herd of them over the hill, and you're like, what is this? And you talk to the villagers, and they they don't really tell you anything. But as you as you move throughout the world, you slowly learn, oh, people herd those, like specific, um, like sort of like sky cattle in a way. And they have certain properties that help with harvests. And you get to learn about a whole new, you know, um, economy and ecosystem and the way cultures interact with each other that you really couldn't have in our world because 
it's too familiar to be mysterious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just so rewarding. And you it's can also, really only get it from high fantasy. It's also a really good way of using video games in conjunction with high fantasy because something video games have that movies and storytelling can't have, unless you make it like really obtuse in a book and have to read it multiple times, is creating implicit storytelling that goes, that is player created in the order you learn things. In a book, it's going to tell you things in a specific order. But when you explore, Morrowind, you might find this book first and this culture first and connect it in a way that no one else did because you went, much like the real world, you learned things in your own order. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's still fun to explore a well-written, well-crafted book. Oh, yeah. For okay. sure. Um, because the plot can be so much more intricate and interesting. Right. But we are talking about why fantasy, you know, video games and fantasy interest us more than books at this point. I think that's a large reason why is it takes yeah. advantage of that idea of a interconnected world more than a book does in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, well, a book that does that really well, or a series, is Discworld, though, you mentioned right. before. Yes. And that truly capitalizes on high fantasy, because it's the complete bizarre nature of discovery that makes those books so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. But uh, inversely, video games are terrible at making good characters. Um, yeah. So that's one reason books are much better and more character-focused genres. I don't think high fantasy necessarily isn't as intricately uh, linked to good characters as other ones just because they have so much of the world to draw from. And if you see a, a weird landscape with a jellyfish creature, you're going to get out of a lot more out of it, potentially, than trying to get to know the the jellyfish creature as a person <laughs> because it's very hard to write that. It's very hard to make a character completely alien to what you understand and still interesting because mm-hmm. humans are just so self-centric because yes. it's all we understand. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. if you're not like us, then we're like, ah, I don't know what Get you're saying. Out. It's boring. Yeah, when I uh, used to roleplay in World of Warcraft, we ran into that exact problem because we were trying to make characters like we always were sticking with like the elves and the humans uh, and maybe the dwarves. And when we tried to branch out to the more like otherworldly races, we were having a lot of trouble making compelling characters because they felt so other. Like it almost yeah. didn't make sense that this weird, crazy cow thing would behave like a human. It just... Mm-hmm. It was tough to really see yourself in that or see a variety. You could only think of like one or two characters. It would be the Wookiee syndrome. Every Wookiee is Chewbacca because that is the only (laughs) Wookiee you know. You don't know the Wookiee language. You don't know the Wookiee subtleties. So every Wookiee is Chewbacca. Now you can have Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and even Darth Vader in the same room. And you're like, they're practically different species. Right. But no, all Wookiees are Chewbacca. What? Right. I said, well, he's more machine now than man. Mm, that's debatable. <laughs> I do feel like that's one of the that is that is the defining characteristic right there, the otherness that separates high fantasy into such a either so well loved or so widely hated genre. <laughs> it's like it's either loved or hated usually, and I think that yeah. right there is the pain point that a lot of people have to get over because they have to accept, oh, uh, that's not. I don't understand this. What is this? Ugh, I don't like it. Or, oh, I don't understand this. What is this? I want to learn about it. Mm-hmm. And it's two very opposite reactions. I can, I don't know, but I could see it being very important that you're introduced to high fantasy when you're young. Oh, yeah. When you're young, mm-hmm. you're way more curious about things and way more open. So the concepts won't seem stupid to you once you're old mm-hmm. and jaded and try to learn it. That's and I found definitely that kind of- something I've noticed with uh, people that I talk to. Um, yep. Those who weren't raised on it don't like it. Yep. Exactly. Both my parents don't really care for it at all, and neither of them are raised with it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, while Stephen and I were completely like raised on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I I heard you guys talking about everyone's first book as a fantasy, an epic fantasy, right? Um, and that's just 
stupidly true for me. <laughs> I mean, like, I have a document that's, you know, as my first series attempted a story, it's, you know, 200 pages long. And that's, that's just the notes. Like, <laughs> I went for it. And that's, yeah. I have a much more complex and long history with fantasy than I guess, or high fantasy than we can get into right now. But I went through the whole cycle of, you know, really, really loving it to the point where it was almost the only thing I would read. Um, and I still have a great respect for it, but because I stumbled through it that way, I know all of the mistakes that people have made and it's harder to look away from them, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I agree with that. Um, all right. Anything you guys wanted to talk about, uh, fantasy that we didn't cover yet? Um, I, there was one thing that I did want to mention, actually. Go ahead. Um, maybe a bit of a rabbit trail, but you had a question on here that what, you know, I, I don't remember what we're on or where we've moved now, but you were talking about the drawbacks. We talked about this a while back. Uh-huh. Um, and we were talking about how the stories tend to be repeated. Uh, they tend to be, mm -hmm. uh, tend to be Lord of the Rings Reaper trails. Um, and something that yep. I actually thought of before we even started was, um, in high fantasy, the, the, one of the things that I've noticed about it is the most common story that's told within it is the hero's journey. And I feel like that goes hand in hand with high fantasy. Um, and I'm not actually sure why that goes hand in hand with it, but have y'all, have y'all noticed that? And I also just kind of wanted to get y'all's take on why the hero's journey, uh, is, is so, so prominent because almost every story right. that you'll read now is like, you know, it's, oh, the mm -hmm. little kid does this yep. and whatnot and moves on. Yeah. I yeah, that's absolutely true. They're, it's frustratingly linked to that one archetype, it's, honestly. It's actually really, really annoying. That's one reason I don't like it. Because <laughs> everything we've talked about and some of our best examples missed Elder Scrolls totally aren't that story. Not um, at all. And, and they're way more interesting. Right, they're capitalizing on what's interesting about fantasy, in my opinion. The Legend of Zelda is an example of one that totally is the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. um, also not a very interesting story, for the most part. Like, <laughs> I like Zelda, don't get me wrong. I just wouldn't go to it to say, like, this is fantastic storytelling. Uh, I think one reason it's so linked, Lord of the Rings was a hero's journey. Um, True. So it's probably people looking at that, once again, for inspiration. Another, I mean, I would call Star Wars another. Oh, yeah. I know it's sci-fi, but it's high it's, fantasy it's in a totally lot of ways. It's totally fantasy, and it's totally hero's journey. And it's a hero's um, journey. And another one that I always think of is Aragon, um, yeah. which everyone says is Star Wars in fantasy. Yep. <laughs> it totally as critical makes sense. as people are of the prequels in Star Wars, something I really appreciate about them is they cared much more about creating a larger context of the world than telling a hero's journey in that. They were telling mm -hmm. a tragic fall of a hero through Anakin, but they were trying to paint this broader picture of the Jedi and the Republic and all these different interconnected planets and wars, which, while got a little boring and confusing to some people, at least wasn't just, you know, the traditional hero story that they told in the original trilogy. That totally um, makes sense. One of the biggest criticisms of those three movies is that the characters are flat. Uh -huh. And the characters, like, uh, something that I was actually asked recently was, uh, describe Han Solo. You're not allowed mm -hmm. to use any visual words and so you start coming right. oh he's cocky he's funny he's whatever whatever and then they they turn around and say okay so now describe obi-wan kenobi and it's really tough to do oh i can do that fantastically <laughs> i think obi-wan kenobi is an amazing character he is the best he is made. but you have to think of obi-wan kenobi in the first movie oh gosh yeah. <laughs> that's where you're going yeah obi-wan kenobi Lord. in the phantom menace sorry Annoying. i wasn't yeah exactly <laughs> Um, and Stuck so up. when yeah. you, when you think of the two that way, it, it's, it, you can yeah, find yeah. a much higher quality of character in the second one. So that's actually really good contrast between the two. Um, one is yep. more high fantasy 
in that it's going for the scope in the world, and then the other one is much more of the, you know, the, the uh, smaller, this is how he changes throughout this. Yeah, and if you look at also, like, how grimy the oh, yeah. and realistic the original trilogy was trying to be, and how realistic. kind of sleek and other the prequels were trying to be. And I think mm-hmm. that's something a lot of people missed about the prequels and why I think they brought in a lot that the original trilogy didn't have. They added a lot of texture to that world that I think was pretty cool and a lot of lore to that world. It wasn't always a hit, but I think people were mm-hmm. kind of missing the broader point of what they're trying to do with those movies by just directly relating them to the original trilogy. Because, mm-hmm. like we were saying, they're kind of doing different aspects they're of They're a completely different series, really. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, one was so, superior so than the other for sure, but right. they were a different I mean, series. <laughs> I think the plot they were trying to tell in the prequels and the world they were trying the to create were compelling. Great. I just think yeah. they wrote it very poorly. <laughs> and acted and directed. And anyways, continue. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how do we get onto that? What were we talking about? Hero's there? Journey. Hero's Journey. I, I went thoughts? on a tangent. Any thoughts about how the Hero's Journey and fantasy interrelate? Um, you guys covered a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I pretty much just let you take it because I knew you were going to say the same thing. I right. think it's so connected because Lord of the Rings, it's the same reason elves are connected to fantasy. There's no reason there, there's no reason people had to keep making elves. Mm. Why are elves still mm. in every, or, or. you know, Facebook game you play just because it's part of pop culture now i wonder if um, the hero's journey existed in fantasy before lord of the rings though i, mean, I, I think wonder so i think that when you look back and you see some of the epics like beowulf um the the hero's journey was a yeah. was a, an important part of coming of age like that's beowulf how people told myths yeah the root of myths is often very moralistic and empowering about the you know the a human's journey so i can see it being pretty interconnected in, in that respect mm. yeah so i think that there's a reason Tolkien used it, because it does have a connection. Right. And the reason people kept using it is because Tolkien used it. Because <laughs> popularized it. And <laughs> I also Tolkien. agree it's a, yeah, it's a huge problem. Um, it's, it's tough to tell is. a compelling hero's journey at this point. It's, it's so easy so to just hard. be trite and boring. I think mm-hmm. Japanese RPGs and their, their type of fantasy still uses this constantly and does it very poorly for the most part. And that ruins most of their stories for me. Uh, yeah. All right. Any other any other high fantasy thoughts before we close out here? Well, I suppose my last thoughts are yep. I really enjoy high fantasy that are based in other cultures, uh, like example right. the Avatar. Mm, um, yep. Love that. Another yeah, hero's journey. A hero's Another journey, hero's but journey. from the eastern side of things, um, not the creators per se, but yes. certainly the the uh, world. Um, and also that, despite all my ups and downs, high fantasy is still pretty much my favorite genre of fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like I said before, there's nothing better to me than being able to explore a brand yep. new, well thought out world. Mm. I agree with that. Uh, my last thought is I used to like high fantasy more, but I like low fantasy more now that I realize Buffy is low fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Death Note is low fantasy. Yeah, they're very good. I just love low fantasy. Honestly, I could I Pretty could do cool. without high fantasy. It's great, mm. but I I like yeah. I don't know. I feel like. I'm more easily able to enjoy the other stuff, but I think that's a personality thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think both of them have lots of ups and downs. Oh, yeah. Um, There's some great things about both and some terrible things about both. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I just get excited about high fantasy that lets me explore the world and isn't just trying to basically tell a normal story, but with Mm -hmm. a couple changed words and a lot of jargon. Um, All right. I think that went pretty well. I like talking about fantasy. Yeah. I agree on both those points. I would love to do something on sci-fi, except I feel none of us are equipped. Hey. 
Have you I'm read sci-fi? sci-fi? I really haven't. I haven't really read a lot of sci-fi, but I, mean, I think most of the sci-fi people consume nowadays is movies. I read Ender's Game. Oh, I did too. I didn't love it. I thought the characters were boring. Well, I mean, they were like, you know, 30-year-olds and 8-year-old bodies, so that was kind of weird. I know. It was weird. Uh, <laughs> I don't like Ender's Game. Sci-fi, sci-fi annoys me because I feel like all the authors are like spaced out and so so preoccupied with what their thoughts of the future are they have a very hard time like writing compelling compellingly in the present you know what brian i think this would be a great discussion to have on the sci-fi episode but for now <laughs> i don't even I want to make one i just want to insult sci-fi one. in passing without without knowing much about it well, I see, i'm really I mean, tempted just... to start discussing this with you but it's going to turn into a frozen topic where we talk for three hours and everyone uh, has to hear it bonus episode yeah if, actually, you just, <laughs> if you just stick an unfair uh biased viewpoint on sci-fi and at the end can't... of a high fantasy yeah, episode it's, it's i don't like, think you'll get any backlash with you <laughs> i could slap you around real good <laughs> i i've seen i've read and seen very little sci-fi but yeah. i have been turned off from a lot of what i've seen the only science fiction i like is star wars and then i realize it's not science fiction so <laughs> i feel like my relation to sci-fi is very similar to abigail's relation to high fantasy i think yeah, so i, I think so. i'm a little bit more into the sci-fi side of it than you are because yeah. that's what i was raised on oh that's a good point yeah you're <laughs> super into sci-fi so also star trek is stupid <laughs> now get out of here right now <laughs> uh, I know I need to see more of it but man no it's actually really poorly written but it's so good right. but it's last so thought, bad Anyways, last continue. thought to leave on is I really wish there were more video games like Mist or or Morrowind to let me explore sci-fi yeah. universe like that there are so few it's annoying they're all like space sims and shooters but anyway uh, we will move on from that for now maybe someone will hear that and develop Anarchy an awesome game online I just, good I, point I just I have I have one comment on that Go ahead. Low-hanging fruit. Move on. <laughs> what? That would be why. Low-hanging fruit. Oh, okay. It's so gotcha. easy. What, to make space? No, it's it's easy to play a first-person shooter and make a first-person shooter and understand a first-person oh, shooter and et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Everything about the process is easy. That's true. You're right. So that's they're, probably they're... why there's so many of them. <laughs> because they're Fair popular enough. because Mass of that. Effect. <laughs> uh, Mass Effect does let you do that, but Mass Effect is poorly written in a lot of other ways that All I won't right. go into right now. We need to end this podcast. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you for joining end us. Now, podcast. what I love about it is we do like this really well thought out episode. Then we just throw out a bunch of unbased opinions that people <laughs> can get mad at. It's basically just bait so people will email us angrily. You know what? Let's have an entire episode where we just sit here and we just each throw out opinions and no one's allowed to argue. I love this idea. It's like lightning round. Okay. <laughs> uh, I just like throw out an author name. You start insulting you. We just move yeah. on to the next thing. Anyways. Right. So thank you everyone for joining us. If you want to find us on Twitter, we are third person show. Uh if you want to email us, we are third person show at gmail.com. We are on YouTube now. Um luckily we have a uh, uh Ariel, Abigail's sister, putting all our stuff up there, and I want to thank her for doing that. It's lovely to have someone else be able to help with the production side of things. You can find us at third person a storytelling podcast. We are a part of the Whales or Whales productions network and you can find us there at whalesorwhales.com you'll find our show there on the front page <sighs> if you want to find us personally on twitter i am lord meldor that is l-o-r-d-m-e-l-d-o-r-r steven is stephen kelly 180 and abigail is the thinky reader thank you both for coming
was such an awkward silence.